Welcome back, journeyers, to another episode of Reed Keeper's Journey. So last episode, the kids were led to the strange woman who somehow gave them the ability to speak their language. Now we're going to find out more about her, the women who've taken the kids captive, and the strange place the children find themselves in. Now, back to the story. Chapter 9 Michael and his friends stood motionless, even though the matriarch motioned them to come closer. If she was insulted by their lack of inaction, she gave no indication of it and began explaining who she was. I am Hippolyta, keeper of the staff, Enoni of the Metaf, and Epitros of Megalios Zulan, the tree in which we dwell. It is the first tree, all others spring from its seed, and all commune with its spirit. My children and I live among the forest to protect and care for it. That is our purpose. She stopped and looked at Michael. Michael glanced over his shoulder. No support there. He stepped forward, his feet sticking to the floor in their reluctance to move. Uh, my name is Michael Reed, and, and these are my friends, uh, Ken Cavalier, Samuel Williams, uh, we just call him Bear, Steve Voss, Heather Shackelberg, and my sister, Stacy. Her expression seemed to change when he named Stacy, but he couldn't explain how. We are um, strangers to this land, and we seek uh, passage back home. Please forgive our intrusion into your forest. We came here by accident. We mean no harm, he ended lamely. He hunched his shoulders, uncomfortable under her steady gaze. Steve should be doing the talking, he thought. Steve always knew what to say. I accept your espasmos, she responded. You are welcome guests. Rest and receive sun and water, she said ceremoniously, touching both her hands to her forehead and then to her lips and then spreading them out palm up. We will do all that is in our power to return you to your home. Now, I must rest. Bonding taxes me. I didn't realize that all of you. She raised a hand to her brow. It does not matter. This tiredness will not last, and we will speak again on the morrow. She closed her eyes. Zoe, show our guests to their prepared rooms. A girl with fiery red hair stepped from behind the dais. Michael instantly recognized her as the girl from the meadow who had slung a stone at his head. Zoe saluted Hippolyta stiffly. Yes, mother, and turned to them. Come, she said, with the look as if she had been ordered to clean all the bathrooms for a week. She brushed past Michael with a stiff shoulder, making it obvious that she was ignoring him. She gave off a faint amber scent that almost smelt angry. Michael got the distinct impression that given half a chance, this girl would gladly huck another stone at his noggin. Michael trailed the group as he exited the darkening chamber. He stole a look back at the throne. Hippolyta sat, hands folded in her lap and head down the long brown hair draped in a way that concealed her features. In that moment, Michael understood the phrase, weight of the world on your shoulders. She gave the appearance of someone being crushed one second at a time. He wished there was something he could do, but what could he do? Neither he nor his friends belonged here, and his sole responsibility was to his sister. He wanted to help, 
but he had his own burdens to carry. Michael's watch said nine o'clock, and he was amazed by the passage of time. It hardly felt like hours had passed since he last glanced at it, although he did get the impression the night had fallen. Other than the soft tread of souls on wood, no other sound touched his ears. The tree and its inhabitants slept. He could almost feel the life of the community surrounding him. The blanketing quiet brought a buzz to his ears. It seemed palpable, like a multitude of voices singing and talking from a great distance. It felt like a gathering of thousands calling on him to become part of them, to join them. Will you give me peace, Michael Reed? Will you become one of us? He shoved the feeling to the back of his mind. No, he thought. And he didn't know why, but it seemed profound that he had denied that beckoning if only in his head. Ken fell back to Michael's side as the group quietly followed Zoe's bouncing red braids down a series of passages. What's her prop? Ken asked. Use English, Michael answered. Okay, his best friend said as he twisted his mouth. Dude, that's, huh, that's really weird. I know, right? It feels like you're talking outside your head. I don't know what that means, but it fits. Michael smiled. It was good to hear Ken sounding like his old self again. Everyone wanted to be Steve, but Michael always admired Ken's blatant honesty. For better or for worse, a person always knew where they stood with him. Something had been bothering his friend for a while, and Michael felt guilty for never asking him what's up. Not that asking would do any good. Ken and him were close, but there were parts of his friend that no one ever saw. The hallway was easily 15 yards across, and probably just as high, Michael figured. It also had an almost imperceptible downward slant to the left, as if they were walking inside some enormous corkscrew. They continued along the corridor, being led by Zoe's stiff back. So what's her story? Ken nodded to Zoe. Who knows? Michael trailed off. I'd probably remind her of her ex-boyfriend or something. More like her ex-husband who ate her babies, Ken said. Michael could not keep from sighing. (sighs) What is it about me that people don't like? No matter what I do, I always seem to rub everybody the wrong way. Ken was silent for a moment and then spoke. I say things, and most times I know I should keep my mouth shut, but I just go right ahead and blurt it out. So I understand why I'm not the most popular guy in town. For instance, when we first met, I thought you were a total prick, but I couldn't tell you why. You didn't do anything or say anything. You just had this, I'm really important air about you. Now when I look back, I think you intimidated me. Yeah, right. Seriously, I don't get it. But people feel threatened by you. And I I don't mean physically. I think when people look at, say, Steve, they see someone that they don't only want to be, but someone they could be. When people look at you, they see someone they can't be. Does that make sense? You rub people the wrong way, and they say it was because you did this or said that, but it's really because you set them on edge. You kind of weird people out. You're like nails on a chalkboard. No, no, that's not it. You're like chewing on tinfoil. So, if that's true, how do I have any friends at all? Michael stopped and looked at his best friend. 
Ken shrugged. Some people like the taste of tinfoil. Michael looked up to see the group waiting for them. Zoe whipped her head back when he caught her eye and continued to march down the hallway. He sighed again and then hurried to catch up. After a short while, they were led to their rooms. Heather and Stacy were given their room first. His little sister gave him, I'll kill you if anything happens to you, look, and left the guy standing in the hallway. Michael could already see a bond forming between Heather and Stacy. The feeling of relief surprised him. He loved his sister, and despite how much he wanted to, he knew he could not always be there for her. The boys continued down the hall following Zoe's defiant back. She reminded Michael of the neighbor's cat, Princess, who always walked proudly through their yard, head held high with a defiant air. That is, if Jack didn't have a BB gun handy. The group stopped again, and Michael and Ken tried to follow Bear and Steve into the room, but Zoe barred their way. You have other chambers, Hyperboreans. She all but spat the last word. Ken was quick to protest. We stay together. You are with them, but you are not of them. Her eyes never wavered from Michael's. The treaty states that Hyperboreans will reside alone. Or have you forgotten the stipulation you fought so hard to include? Ken looked like his temper was getting the best of him again. Michael stepped between Ken and Zoe, returning the girl's cold look. Let's just go along with it for now. Ken shook his head. That's your answer for everything. We'll be fine, Ken, Steve said. Fine. Just watch your back, guys, Ken said in English as the door completed its flawless seal. She started down the hall. Follow, she ordered. Michael almost avoided grinding his teeth. After a while, she stopped and faced the wall that parted before her. This room is yours, Hyperboreans. Ken entered without a word, but Michael stood, thinking. He fingered one of the cuts, and he tried to remain calm. Her unprovoked hostility gnawed at him. He knew he shouldn't ask, but frustration and curiosity forced him to. Zoe, he tried to say calmly, Have I offended you in some way? Ken paused and looked back. She gave him a cold look. Why do you act this way? Is this a game of yours, Hyperborium? No game, I... I am not amused, and I do not wish you here. If Mother had not accepted your asposmos, I would have put my spear through you and burnt the shaft. I am Zoe of the Metef, second of the staff, daughter of Entropus and Megalanos Zulan, bride of Hyperborean. It is unwise to mock me, Raid Keeper, since I will be your queen one day, and I do not forget slights easily. She turned on her heel and walked away, her back frosty and straight. He stood in the hallway for a long moment, completely baffled. He didn't believe she forgot even the tiniest slight, real or imagined. Dude, Ken murmured, she really does not like you. And Queen? What's that about? Michael shook his head. He had been in this place for not even a week, and already someone hated his guts. He turned into the room, and the door melded together silently but Michael could hear cell door slamming shut in his head. Their quarters were massive. Whatever Hyperboreans were, they obviously deserved the master suite. He couldn't care less. All he wanted was to be unconscious. Michael entered a side chamber and stripped down to his boxers and removed his bandage from his shoulder. 
He climbed into a bed far too big for him and slipped beneath the thick woven blankets. Michael was so exhausted, he did not care to know how the lights knew to go out. Sleep called to him, and he readily complied. Gratefully, he took her into his arms and rested deeply. Chapter 10 Michael awoke, curled in a warm hovel of blankets. He felt no need to throw off the bedding and face the day. He knew the previous days had not all been a dream, as he had hoped. Without a doubt, he was not in his bedroom. The bed and blankets were far more luxurious than his humble furnishings back home. He didn't want to move, but forced himself out of bed when he heard Ken stirring in the adjacent room. He rolled out of bed and shambled to a small side room that he hoped was a bathroom. His hopes were rewarded, and after relieving himself in what he guessed was a chamber pot, he peered into a finely polished piece of metal that served as a mirror. He had a full three days' growth of brown, red-flecked stubble sprouting out of his face, and his hair was in complete disarray. His blurry eyes were drawn to the water that steamed out of a wooden tub that grew out of the floor. He tested it and found it wonderfully hot. He quickly sank up to his chin and tried not to think of anything. He failed. The need to get his sister home nodded him and forced him into motion. He stood and scrubbed himself with a rough soap that seemed to be made out of a root bulb, rinsed, and decided to try his hand at shaving. He found a broad, flat, single-edged razor with a finely engraved stone handle sitting on the bowl beneath the mirror. It took a little getting used to, but he was quite pleased with the results, and most of the bleeding stopped within a couple of minutes. He wiped the remaining suds from his face, returned to the main room, and found Ken snacking on a platter of fruit that had not been there when he woke up. He nodded to Ken, who wasn't a big morning talker either, and stuffed several small berries into his mouth. He returned to his room to find that the bed had been made, and on top of it a folded pile of clothes. He almost went to go ask Ken about it, but decided not to bother. A stranger sneaking in and making his bed was not even close to the weirdest thing that had happened so far. He chose to wear the long-sleeved shirt that folded in front like a gi he had in martial arts instead of a piece of clothing that he could only describe as a toga. The shirt was dyed a cobalt blue, except for the intricate embroidery on its cuffs and collar, which was a muted white. His jeans had been replaced with dark blue pants. The material was strange. It consisted of the same thickness as denim, but it was a much finer fabric. Despite their foreign feel, they fit perfectly. He opted for a pair of finely crafted black boots instead of his worn-out sneakers and gazed at himself in a full-length piece of metal. Not bad, he smiled to himself. He returned to the main chamber and Ken grunted a greeting. He was wearing an almost identical outfit but had a yellow design on his shirt that was slightly less intricate. He had just sat down to eat when the prettiest girl Michael had ever seen escorted Bear and Steve into the room. Strawberry blonde hair woven into an intricate braid framed a breathtaking face. Blue eyes, like the clearest sky, complemented a small bow mouth with full, deep red lips. What's up, gentlemen? Steve strode in with a smile. Definitely a morning person. Bear lumbered to the table and began eating. Help yourself, Ken said. Bear looked up abashed, but Michael quickly told him he could have all he wanted. Steve stretched and yawned. So, what's on the agenda today, O fearless leader? 
Michael glanced at Ken, but his friend didn't seem to mind Steve's question. Steve wore the same style of tunic that Michael did, but in a deep brown and with a different but no less complex embroidery of gold thread. He also used a golden cord to pull back his dishwater blonde hair into a short stub that sprouted out the back of his head. Michael could not help but think that he had always wanted long hair, but the militant Jack would never allow it. It must be nice to have rich parents let you do whatever you want. Michael thought bitterly and then immediately felt ashamed. Steve deserved everything he received in life. He truly was one of the best people Michael had ever met. He never let all that money he got coming out of his pores affect his head. Bear wore a light brown tunic with orange on its sleeves. Michael felt the colors represented something, but as to what, he could only guess. He stole a look at the girl and was once again struck by her beauty. Well, let's see if we can find a way back home. He answered in English and then asked the girl in her own tongue, Where are the girls? It felt eerily natural speaking a language he had never learned. It reminded him of dreaming how to fly, where you wonder why you've never flown before until you wake up and realize it was just a dream. They will be joining us shortly, she answered in a gentle voice. Totally lost, surrounded by strangers, and they have us waiting for them to get ready, Ken grinned. No matter what happens, some things never change. Women. Bear smiled around a mouthful of fruit. Ken barked to laugh. You said it, big guy. How's the shoulder? Steve asked. Surprisingly good. Michael gave it a tentative touch. I can hardly tell that it was burned. It is called Blayon, the girl said. It is a powder made from roots. It is very effective for burns and bad blood. I am Callista of the Metaf, third keeper of the staff and watcher of the tree. May you always find sun and water, Michael of the Reeds. Her melodious voice held no malice. It's not. He stopped. The altercation with the redhead last night flashed in his mind. Michael decided that maybe correcting someone right after you meet them was not the best way to win someone over. The wisdom in that was both deep and obvious. Callista, could you answer some questions for us? She nodded and gestured for them to sit. They gathered around, save for Bear, who was still eating. Michael had never seen anyone eat so much. He had decided to tackle the question that had been plugging him since last night. Who are the Hyperboreans? A slight smile crept on Callista's lips as if she thought he was jesting. Michael could spend all day watching those lips. Hyperborean are people that dwell north, past the Himethanes forest, she answered. And you think I'm one of these hyper people? But you are, Michael of the Reeds. Why do you deny it? It is written plainly on your features, as it is with Kin of the Cavalier. I see it as clearly as I see Steve of Voss's Lectoc, and Bear is of the Lestrogan, uh, though I've never heard of them traveling so far from their plains, nor heard of one so small in stature. But we aren't those people, Michael said slowly, hoping it would sink in. Your humor escapes me. Callista looked at the wall for a moment before it opened. The girls walked in, led by the girl from last night. I wasn't trying to be funny, he said. It was like trying to explain a corner to a circle. He let Zoe's wicked gaze slide off him. So, how did you both sleep? Like a 
princess, Heather answered. We each had a bed that was huge, Stacy added enthusiastically. I can't remember the last time I slept so well. So what do we do now? Heather said as she joined her boyfriend on the sofa. She wore a long white gown with an intricate embroidery on its sleeves. Stacy had a matching dress, but with no embroidery. I was just asking Bear that same question, Steve answered, and then murmured something into Heather's ear. Michael silently wished for the millionth time that he had half the grace that his friend had with the opposite sex. He glanced at Callista. Even an eighth would be an improvement. And, Heather smiled, and, Steve answered, I think we're going to have to go get some more food for Bear. Bear was just putting the finishing touches on the last of the food on the table. Funny, Steve, he said, though he looked a little embarrassed. Michael had to see that meadow again. The woman with the eyes was behind this. It was the only explanation. She wanted him for whatever reason, and maybe his friends got pulled along by accident. If they went back to the spot, maybe his friends would be transported back home. Will you give me peace? Michael spoke to his friends in English. I think the best thing would be to go back to the area where they found us. Being outside sounds good, Ken answered. Michael addressed Callista, feeling Zoe's eyes on him. Are you able to take us to the place where you found us? In spite of his better judgment, he couldn't resist the temptation of needling Zoe. Or are we confined to our quarters? Callista tilted her head as if she were listening to the wind. Yes, we are allowed to escort you there. Excellent. He could feel his grin broaden as Zoe glowered. Well, that's all for this episode, Journeyers. Next episode, the kids are going to travel to the meadow, the one from Michael's dreams where he was confronted by the woman with the eyes, and see if they can find some way back home. Also, they'll continue to learn more about this strange place that they find themselves in. Until then, thank you for listening, and be good to one another.